What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> I, I swear I would do that right now. I'd rather have my daylight. I, by the time I get home, it's dark. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, especially with your commute. Yeah, we'll let this plane go over, then we'll get started. Well, can't believe they're not mowing today. <laughs> <laughs> it's, only, it's only 38 degrees. <laughs> you know, I, I started off the walk kind of cold, and then by the time we got turned around yeah, and come, started coming up that hill, I was unzipping my jacket. All right, guys, let's go. All right, man. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. I hope everyone has a wonderful Christmas. And today's guest, John Hast. Oh. John, tell us what you do. Uh, so, yeah, I'm the bear, fur bear, wild pig All uh, the, program coordinator. Some of my favorite animals. And then I've recently stepped over uh, to be acting program coordinator of the deer and elk program. Really? For a little bit, yeah. So you are... Well, that's a lot of games. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. So, a lot. so the fall hunting guide you have in front of you there, pretty much every page. Everything. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Laurel Palmer stepped up to kind of take uh, take most of the of the uh, fur bear, pig, and okay. permits program. Yep. But one of the things I wanted to talk about today, Lee's actually got an article open right in front of him, mm -hmm. is uh, bear, and you are mm -hmm. still, you have been, and still are the primary bear guy. Yep. Yep. That's what they called you, and you went on another radio show at one point, and they referred you as the bear guy. <laughs> I think because you were making fun of their host for being short, <laughs> so you stuck in their mind. But um, that article Lee has, is that this uh, fall edition? No, no, this is from 2010. This okay. is the first bear hunt. So Lee has the Kentucky Field Magazine. From I covered it and didn't see a bear. When, how long? He said it was five hours into his hunt, but it was a couple of days before anybody got one, correct? If you can remember correctly. I can't even remember. Well, that's 10 years ago, so yeah. let's focus yeah. more. So no, just, it's basically the 10-year anniversary of the first bear hunt in Kentucky. I just want to give perspective because only two were taken that year. Two were taken that year. In 2010. I want to, I well, still, two is better than I've ever done. But um, so bear season, the, mo the modern firearm season was the 12th and 13th this year. Yeah, it opened the 12th and then, of course, depending on the quota. Uh, runs through that Friday. I drove down there and hunted it once again. It was like I always try to do. Once again, did not see a bear. <laughs> you really got to help me out more, ass. Yeah. So, what is your hunting strategy during this time of year? Yeah, from my from my standpoint, of course, working the check stations and talking to hunters. That's one of the main things I'm curious in. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of an equal mix. Um, the local folks down there, I think, are really catching on mm -hmm. uh, primarily to be versatile. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, I met a father and his two sons from Washington County that drove over and, and killed one that morning, that's killed pretty, one opening morning. It's tough, man. Um, it's really tough. It is. It is for sure. That's pretty much the same. I mean, that's my strategy. Like, I'm, I'll just real quick tell you how, how I go about it when I go. I drove down there Friday night, met my uncle at a cabin there at uh, Pine Mountain State Resort and we had a game plan drawn up. We're going to go here in the morning. We were just scouting with maps. We hadn't actually set foot on the property yet, which was the first mistake we made. Because um, then, you know, six o'clock the next morning, we drive up there and the gate shut. Uh, uh, you know, we couldn't access the public land. We had to drive through a, a coal mine to get to that part of public and the gate was shut at the coal mine. We couldn't make it. So then we're stuck there calling an audible, looking at our maps, trying to figure out another spot we can go. I pick out a spot and I say, all right, it looks like if we can get there, we got some area we can work with. And so we drive over there and we get out of the truck and I'm looking up this hill. My map shows, you know, 400 yards of woods and then there's a clearing up there. So I'm thinking, I'm gonna get to that clearing. I start up this hill and you know, in Eastern Kentucky, you, you look up the hill and you think you can climb it. And then you get to what should be the top and you realize that this hill just keeps on going. Yeah. And it did that three or four times. Yeah. And so an hour and a half later, I finally made it to the top of that hill and I was gassed. It was, like, it was something like a 1300 foot climb. Yeah. Um, and it was absolutely horrible. But once I got to the top, I mean, I could see clean into Tennessee. I mean, I, I was sitting right around 3,100 feet above sea level, which puts you, you're almost the highest point in the county down there. Mm -hmm. and, that, and I could just see across all the mountaintops and it was beautiful. I didn't see a bear, but it was a it was worth the trip. And I got a feeling that's what a lot of people like me who don't know what the heck they're doing probably go down there and do. They go down there and find a bunch of, of big track of public land with some area that they think looks good and just and roll the dice. And it never worked out for me. 
And you're saying the locals are catching on? Yeah, they're catching on and they've got, you know, being being local over there, they've got the ability to scout. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people running trail cameras. Yeah. Just just going in um, to places with oaks. I heard that a lot this year. So we basically, so the department does a mass survey uh, in August and last year it was like we were borderline mass failure, mm-hmm. except out east, and once you got up in altitude a little bit, mm-hmm. there were oak acorns everywhere. Yeah. So when we when we do these mass surveys, we're not necessarily capturing the little micro changes, maybe at the top of Pine Mountain or the top of Cumberland Mountain. Uh, so really, the last two years we've had a good mass crop down there, especially down there, especially. Okay. Um, and it pretty well our survey indicated that this year. Um, so I think the local folks down there, they're, they're finding those oak stands that are buried down, you know, halfway down the mountain somewhere that nobody else is going to get to uh, and running some cameras in them and seeing what's there. Yeah. You know, walking, looking for sign, uh, running some cameras. But as far as, uh, you know, comparing it to tree stand hunting for deer, I think a lot of these folks will get on a logging road or a bench road and just put some miles in. Yeah. Um, it's just then, fun down there. I mean, yeah. I, I, even though I don't see a bear, don't harvest a bear, I still have fun. Yep. And it's just walking those roads. I, I did 12 miles on that Saturday, mm-hmm. and I saw a lot of country. And, I mean, I was entertained and having fun the whole day. Yeah. You know, but if I saw a bear, like you're saying these locals do, when they do the same thing, that would have been a, a lot sweeter. But mm-hmm. So they're, they're just putting in miles and covering these areas where they know bear are. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, and doing that, and it's, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, I think I calculated it. Last year we had about a 6% success rate, okay. uh, and it's not going to be too far off what we've got this year. We sold about 1,200 tags this year and had 87 bears harvested. 87. So math will be pretty close. That's what I was, I was curious how many were harvested, 87. Mm-hmm. And you said the first year was 10, Lee? Two. Two, two. Oh, yeah. That's what, 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Two, two, two bears. bears harvested in 2010 season. Man, mm-hmm. so we're uh, we're looking at forty-four times as many bears being harvested. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's that? Is that because our population's increasing? Just the regs changing, allowing more bears? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I mean, we <clears throat> certainly are seeing a population increase, um, especially in some of those like what I'm calling the Zone Two counties, like East Zone Two. We yeah. know we're seeing a huge population increase there. And then, secondly, all the little reg changes, as annoying as they might be for their hunters, is we're just slowly trying to incrementally sort of ratchet up our harvest yeah um, and that takes that takes looking at things every year um, you know last year we, we added Wayne County as its own, own zone mm-hmm. um, and that essentially takes the quota pressure away from the rest of West Zone too okay. Wayne's where we traditionally have our females harvested uh, making it its own zone Wayne County now can't shut down Pulaski County okay it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. Which is more liberal. You're allowing basically yeah. more bears to be more season. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Let the let the length run a little bit longer uh, by compartmentalizing those counties. Um, and so we've we've done that. And this last commission meeting, we voted to do uh, Leslie Perry and Pike as their own zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd be expecting that uh, for next fall. It's got to go through a couple more. Yeah. Couple more filters, but that will do the same thing. Uh, what shut down East Zone 2 this year with the quota was two females from Pike and one, one from Knott. Mm-hmm. Uh, so by pulling Pike out on its, on its own, mm-hmm. it would have only shut down itself and not that whole... When you're talking about thing. the quotas, people might not understand that. The, really, like, so I was hunting Bell County, so I'll just talk mm-hmm. about Bell County's, the season runs until two females have been harvested correct in that area so i mean it might close the first day and, and this i think i checked on monday this year and it was still open yeah it ran the full set bell ran the full seven days this year yeah so mm-hmm. now you're talking about when you say the quota being met you're talking about the number of females being harvested that are allowed to be harvested correct and uh yep. so really i mean say they went out there in bell county and harvested 22 male bears and one female bear and we're still going to have a day two of that season. Absolutely. It's going to keep on rolling until we yep. get, okay. Yep. Male bears don't really count yeah. uh, for quota or really for population management. See, understand. I think the, the way that you manage uh, these wrecks, like bear season, it's completely 100% makes sense in my mind. It's set up for pure management with the female quotas and, mm-hmm. the, you know, the per county zone. And I feel like you're able to, to control those regs that way because it is in an isolated part of the state. You're not talking to the whole state. 
yep. you can basically break down those counties just like we do zones for deer you know when we are talking to the whole state mm-hmm. does that make sense at all yeah it does and that's what we're you know my my goal anytime we do regs is to make it as simple as possible but in this case it's not much different than deer and if you know what county you're in yeah um and, and a lot of times i suggest that people game plan if you're going to harlan county for the weekend be prepared to need to go somewhere else on sunday yeah you know and that's really honestly one county north one county east or west uh to get in an open county so have a couple of of options yeah i, I like the way the bear eggs are set up and it makes sense and like 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 i was saying a second ago it's all geared towards managing that population and one of my big questions is what does the population look like like lee has a magazine from 10 years ago from 10 years ago when we harvested two to to now what's changed with the actual bear yeah, population that's what, itself I had yeah we're seeing big changes so 2000 i came in as a grad student at uk uh more or less in in 2007 2008 and like i've said before we were we we still were like kind of babysitting this little tiny population on pine mountain um, and that pretty quickly has evolved into, you know, our ability to harvest 87 bears and not really, um, you know, basically keep the population level. That's what we're going for in Harlan and Letcher. Um, so we did a really in-depth research project in 2013, 2012 and 2013 in Bell, Harlan and Letcher and got a good count. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more or less our baseline abundance number for the model that we use. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had pretty good growth in that population up until about three years ago. Do you have a growth rate? Yeah, we were about we were about six or seven percent. Okay. Um, growth rate there. So adding six or seven percent onto four hundred every yeah. year. So you got you got a hundred bears. The next year you got one hundred and six, and then the next yep. year you got one hundred and thirteen, and then one hundred and twenty-one. Right. Et cetera. Right. Yeah, and that doesn't sound like. That doesn't sound like much, but it really is for a bear population, yeah. especially a hunted bear population. Our goal in Bellhart and Letcher, when we broke them out as their own zone and up the female quota, was to basically hold that population stable. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of this fine balancing act between like the carrying capacity of the land, which I don't think we've hit, mm-hmm. we're nowhere near that, but this other idea is the social carrying capacity, what people mm-hmm. will tolerate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really from about 15, 2015 was a really bad year for nuisance. We had a mass crop failure. 18 was the same. Uh, and that was really the impetus behind us cranking up harvest in Bellhart and the Letcher. Mm-hmm. So even though they are probably our most restrictive counties on harvest, mm-hmm. you know, that quote is gonna come in, and, you know, this year we only got one day of hunting in archery and one day of hunting in gun season for Harlan and Letcher County, we still took, out of that core, we still took 21 females and 17 males. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was even with those fewer hunting days, that was a big impact on that population. So our goal there is to keep them at basically a 0% growth. Mm-hmm. We've got a good number of huntable bears in that area, but the people down there dealing with them every day yeah. don't really want any more. And we, we fully understand that. Yeah. Um, other parts of the state, when you get into the zone twos and zone three, those are the places where we're seeing really good growth right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably in upwards of 10%. Uh, one thing that came from, from crunching the numbers from this year is that east zone two, we're, we're harvesting an increased number of females out of that zone, which tells me that the kind of the female core <clears throat> is moving out into those counties. That used to be a place you could always depend on killing a female or two and then, you know, 15 or 20 males. Yeah. And now we're, we're about, you know, about half and half, 21 females and 17 males. So the, I'm trying to understand the growth rate on bears. Is it a little bit slower than it could be because of the, how they stick with the cubs? Like female bears are only um, available to be bred every other year, right? Mm-hmm. That's the way I understand it. Yep. So... You know, that, that raises a lot of questions for me. How, well, first of all, what is a sexually mature female bear held? Well, we've had them, I mean, definitely about uh, two and a half. You know, when they're coming into their third winter, they can have cubs if everything's right, if they've had good resources. And they typically have one, two, three? Our, our typical, typicals, uh, honestly, uh, the number's like 2.7 mm-hmm. in Harlan Electric County and a little bit lower over in McCreary, like 2.3. Yeah. Of course, you can't have 
0.7 of a cub. So most litters that we see is, is either two or three. We'll just say with yep. survival of two. Is that, yep. is that a, I mean, that's a very ballpark way of saying it, but. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable. So, mm -hmm. so if you've got a two year period, you basically need a bear to make it, a female bear to make it to about what? Four and a half or five before she is even accounted for herself in the population uh, with a cub? With a cub, yeah, we've we've had a few select of our research bears that we've denned their third winter, mm -hmm. uh, and they've been they've had cubs. Yeah, that's not the majority, um, by far. So definitely, probably that fourth winter, like you said, they're going to have a litter. Do you feel like um, you're talking about the female harvest being up in in Harlan and Letcher? Could that have anything to do with the weather the past two years? Yeah, it definitely could. It's been warmer. I feel like. Like, yeah. I mean, this year it was 56, almost 60 degrees when we were down there hunting. Does that keep mm -hmm. the females out and active? It can. The biggest, the biggest driver of a bear denning is, is resource availability. Mm -hmm. And these last two years in particular, we've had a lot of resources on the ground in the form of acorns leading up to that denning period. Yeah. Um, going back to, to our research at UK, I think the average den date was either like the 15th of December or the 17th of so December. So right around the season. Yeah. Season's the second weekend? It's the second weekend. Okay. And, and initially, if, if people remember, we actually moved that earlier into December. It was initially set when that yeah. season was done in 2010. It was late. <clears throat> it was set after that average date of den entrance yeah. to protect females. So, yeah. so we've moved it a little bit more forward. And definitely this year and, and most likely last year, having those resources on the ground, they will eat. It, you know, as long as they're acquiring calories, they'll stay out and eat as much as they can and go into the den. Gotcha. Um, and that was really only looking at natal females, so females that we're expecting in January. So if there's less food availability, what happens? They'll, they'll go in earlier. Oh, they'll go in earlier yep. to conserve those resources. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Hmm, that makes so sense. So what do males do? Most males in Kentucky don't really den. Um, they they will. South? Uh, you know, even even uh, in some of the work that we've done in Florida, like those female bears still den. It's all resource uh, driven, but it's also a little bit of like the evolutionary, you know, back in the glacial periods, Florida yeah. was probably cold and they did <laughs> yeah, no So you're, you're kind of balancing those two things. Uh, we routinely, when we're doing our den surveys in the winter, we'll see tracks in the snow of, of male bears. Up on the top of the highest mountains that we've got, they're up cruising around. Um, and we've not really, in the last couple winters, just had a hard, you know, if, if, you mm -hmm. get, if you get a week or two where you're barely getting above freezing and you're getting down in the teens, uh, a male bear will probably lay up for a week or two. Yeah. As soon as the sun comes back out and it warms up, he's back out doing his thing. Um, and we routinely get, get nuisance calls in January and February. Yeah. You know, it's funny. When we were, uh, so... Saturday morning when we were getting ready to hunt, me and my uncle were at the truck, you know, throwing our gun, our bag, all that stuff, getting everything together. And he said, uh, he said, you know, it's funny. He said, when I'm back home thinking about going bear hunting, I'm just envisioning this three, 400 pound monster bear. Mm -hmm. He said, now that I'm out here getting ready to walk in, I'm just asking myself what a 75 pound bear looks like. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's the reg, right? Is it still 75 pounds? That, that is the reg. It's 75 pounds. The, the, the main thing behind that is not to not to be harvesting cubs of the year yeah and that's one thing that i'll warn hunters if you see a group of bears mm -hmm. it's probably a female with her year and that's in the reg also right a, a sow with uh with cubs with cubs yeah. yep and and a lot of times i mean our our average when we're research trapping the average female that we're catching in the summer and this is going to be a little bit lighter than you know the bear's going to weigh less than it would in december uh is 105 to maybe 150 pounds. Yeah. Um, so when you're when you're thinking about most yearlings that would be with, so they were born, they were born. Um, I'm trying to think. So they're going to have cubs in January. They're going to have their baby cubs that heal all summer. Mm -hmm. Those bears coming into the December hunting season should be above that 75 pound mark. Okay. Um, it 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 varies and it varies depending on the mass crop. Um, but we don't see, I mean, in my time checking them, we've seen a couple 80, 90 pounders, mm -hmm. but we've not had any uh, that, have, that have hit that under. Yeah, it's just because, you know, that is, it is one of the more, it's not a confusing reg. It makes perfect sense. If you see a bear and you're like, is that 75? Don't shoot. Then don't shoot. That's pretty easy. But yeah. uh, I mean, most of our, I can't think of another 
animal that we hunt, it's not like deer has a weight restriction where you're sitting there trying to field judge right. them, you know, is that, but with bears, it's just a little bit different. And uh, you were at the check station. What did you see down there? Uh, we saw, we had a pretty good, uh, pretty good day. I usually work the check station in Harlan just because it's, you know, I can be of, of help down there. Yeah. But uh, mainly what we're seeing, and, and really this is, this goes back several years, is you might have a good, you know, we had a 250 pound male come through that was just beautiful and everything else was in that 100 to 150 range. What's the biggest bear you seen? Uh, I think one year, maybe two years ago, we had somebody that had like a 325. Okay. Um, and that's a big, you know, yeah. you're going to know that one when he, when he strolls up. See, that's the one I'm daydreaming about. Yeah. On uh, yeah. December uh, 10th, Thursday, when I was, you know, getting all my stuff laid out, I was daydreaming about that bear. And then Saturday morning when I got up, I was just picturing a 75 pounds. What does it look like? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> what do you collect from the bears at the check station? Yeah, the main thing that we're after, and it fits into our to our population model, is we collect a tooth, and that's what we age the bear uh, from. And that's the same thing anybody that's elk hunted has gotten a gotten a tooth submission envelope. Same process um, with bear. It is you know we can you can kind of look at teeth like you do with deer, but where they're so long, they're much longer lived than a than a deer. Mm -hmm. You know, after two or three years, it's a it's a crapshoot. It's mm -hmm. the what they are without the without the tooth how what is the average life of a i, I think i've been told for deer it's like three years old in yeah. the state of kentucky is the average life expectancy of mm -hmm. a deer so what is it for bear for bear the general consensus across the southeast is about 10 years for males they, they have a lot more you know they're moving they're crossing roads fighting each other fighting each other a lot riskier uh behavior uh and then females it's generally 18 to 20 mm -hmm. and we've had uh we had one female that we caught with the UK project that um, she ended up getting hit on the road, I think uh, one or two years ago, and she was 23. Jeez. Uh, and we had denned her the previous year, so she'd had cubs, uh, you know, at, at, at 22. Um, that's the oldest one that I think we know of in Kentucky, but routinely, uh, when we run these two samples, you'll have you'll have plenty that are that are you know 12 to 15 plus. That's pretty yeah for a wild animal. That's a long time out. Yeah, there. yeah. What uh one question I always have is, what do bears in Kentucky? What's their primary diet? Because people think of them as being carnivores, they're omnivores. I mean, but and in my mind, I'm thinking that they don't even eat that much meat. Like they're probably more of a herbivore. Yeah. Are, so what what do they eat? Tell me. Yeah, I think really the omnivore thing comes in there because of the insect component. Yeah. Um, they are really not eating much of what you think uh, a wolf is eating or a... Well, people see grizzly you know. bears on TV and they're, yeah. you got that one that killed that elk in Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. You got them out there eating salmon out of the river and people just picture bears like that. But yeah. I mean, there's a big difference in a coastal grizzly and a, mm -hmm. and a Kentucky black bear, right? Absolutely. I mean, when they, when they come out of the den in the spring, so den exit coincides with green up mm -hmm. and their diet in, you know, when they come out late March, you know, that coincides with green up. It will be clover, uh, grass. There's places, especially on some of the elk, uh, our elk areas that have been strip mined where you can see four or five bears grazing on a hillside yeah. in, in April and May. Doritos, that's a <laughs> yeah, 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 not counting, not counting garbage. That does make up some component. Yeah. Uh, but it'll go, it'll go from primary grass into insects in the summer. Mm. We had a big cicada hatch in 2010, and it was mm. wide open for, I mean, you would see them out jumping up. Isn't the Mac Daddy coming cicadas. again this, this coming I, year? I think so. I've got um, a little cicada jitterbug. Looks just like a cicada. <laughs> so you're already <laughs> ready to Lee's go. Over oh, I slayed on it during the first one. Oh, uh, in August of 2021, Lee's already got a <laughs> plan <right>. out. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> and it'll go, you know, their summer diet, a lot of times, like, you know, bear sign when we're trapping in the summer for research, I'm looking for flipped over rocks, I'm looking yeah. for logs that are torn up. I mean, they're flipping over rocks and eating little crustaceans and, yeah. and salamanders. So they're basically in the summer doing the same thing that me and Kristen do. They're just eating what they find. Yep. Out there flipping rocks and flipping logs, looking for, you know, you find a bunch of those, what, like it's a, like a big larval of a, like a large beetle, mm -hmm. a larval stage. and. You find all kinds of grubs and insects and yep. centipedes and worms and that's what they're that's what they're after. So that's the that's mm -hmm. the the canine portion of their mouth is dedicated those big teeth they got that's dedicated to those food sources. Yeah, I think so. And I mean they're perfectly able. And this is this is I mean we know this from research in Virginia. 
if they stumble across a, a deer fawn, mm -hmm. it's probably going to get eaten. Yeah. But you know, they've, they've proved it in different parts of Virginia and West Virginia. It's not a population limiting, yeah. um, you know, they're not out there hunting deer fawns. Um, and then that sort of moves into, you know, in August, you'll start seeing sassafras trees pulled over, eating sassafras berries. They'll hit autumn olive berries on, on the strip. Wild mine blueberries. Berries. You got all the wild blueberries, service berry. Do you remember um, the one in the gorge that? Yeah, that one was one of the very rare I was maybe the only bear attack. But wasn't, yep. wasn't there a wild blueberry patch like right there? Yep. The store, John probably knows this better than me because you were, that would have been while you were, <laughs> that was probably 2006 or seven. No, that's probably 10. 10 because I was in college at that point. Yep. Yeah, apparently the guy kind of cornered a bear out in the blueberry patch up on a ridge and the bear just felt tricky. He couldn't go any direction but, you know, where the person was. And I, the guy just got hurt. He got gnawed on a little bit. But yeah, but broke yeah. his leg, didn't he? I had a pretty good, had a pretty good uh, issue with his with his calf there, where he had gotten on it pretty good. So, like, basically, what I was getting at is, I, I think a lot of people think of bears as being this, you know, carnivore, this big mean animal. But honestly, Lee pointed out the only attack, and I mean that was ten and years he had, ago. Like crackers and treats in his in a backpack. Well, I don't think the bear was coming for him for food. I think it no. was for its own safety. It just felt cornered. That's why yeah. it might have been John that actually explained that to me. Yeah, that's the story um, that I got. And, and where the attack site was, it was a little kind of knife edge ridge that's yeah. pretty common. From what gorge. I heard, it was really close to the native tunnel, kind of up on top of mm -hmm. the native tunnel, mm -hmm. which is up there fairly close to Augsburg Ridge. If somebody hikes up that area, Tunnel Ridge Road goes over Native Tunnel, and the end of that is Oxford Ridge. And from what I heard, it was in that general area. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just, that's back when I was in college and going to the gorge to hiking, of course. Yeah. You know, my, <laughs> my mom, actually, my mom didn't care, but Bobby, who I was hiking with, his well, mom. God, we got calls out the. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, we yeah. Got sure. inundated. Yeah, but so it's just that picture people so have. So if you bears. encounter a bear in that situation, What's you, the smart plan? The best thing to do, and, and you know, every situation is different, but keep your distance. There's no reason to get, there's no reason to try to get closer and get a photo. Let them do their thing and, and back like, out of there. Like those tourists in Yellowstone this summer, you see them getting close to it. Yeah. Me as an animal, as a buffalo or bison. Or yeah. Me. Yep. I was a parent. My wife worked out there. You don't, you don't mess with them. Mm. People remember <laughs> they got stomped. <laughs> Good catch, Lee. Yeah. Um, apparently my grandparents told me I was named after I'm named after two people, Tyler and Chase, both people like way back in my family. But one of the two, I can't remember which, apparently killed a black bear with his bare hands up north. Nice. So uh, yeah. that's my namesake. So I'm not going to try it if yeah. I, if I yeah. encounter, I'm not, but that's what they, he worked for Michigan or Wisconsin, one of those two northern states, DNR, um, back when it first, first originated. He was a, guy up there but that's what i heard i was named after him and i was named after a professional golfer who died in a plane crash so i'd rather be the, the guy who killed the bear with this yeah oh Payne stewart <laughs> what was that Payne stewart uh his name was either tyler or chase chase well, it, i'm talking way back in the day okay. like my grandparents grandparents okay so great great yeah. but um let's see you got way off topic there one thing i really like about our bear season and uh, i actually i thought about this 20 minutes ago because i was thinking about night hunting coyotes Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, you know, I wonder if they ever thought about, you know, you can't night hunt coyotes while bear season's in. And then I realized, well, it just conveniently overlaps with muzzleloader deer season. Yep. So that pretty much, that rule takes care of itself because you can't night hunt coyotes while that season's in. So therefore you can't do it while bear season's in. But um, the fact that it overlaps with muzzleloader, I think is a good opportunity. And one of my buddies I used to bear hunt with, he would take a muzzleloader every year because he was always sitting on a buck tag. And this past weekend when I was up there, it was actually Kentucky Ridge State Forest where I was at. I hiked up over the hill because there was a windbreak and there was a buck right there feeding in front of me. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, man, if I did have a muzzleloader and a buck tag, it would be pretty cool to take a public land muzzleloader mountain buck, you know? Mm -hmm. And for people out in Eastern Kentucky, that, that might not be as cool of an experience as it would be from me from the bluegrass region. Yep. Because I mean, field dressing that deer up on top of that mountain, it would be unlike any experience you know i've had as many deer as i've field dressed i've never done it on top of a mountain mm -hmm. and so i don't know I, th I thought it was it's pretty cool and a muzzleloader is perfectly capable of taking down a bear so yeah absolutely and and strangely enough we had uh we only had one bear of those 87 well should say of the 29 taken in that gun season that overlap with muzzleloader only one was taken with a muzzleloader really so and i don't know if it's a product that the local folks have already killed their buck 
yeah. you know, modern gun deer season's already been in or what, but, but when we went about setting this up, I thought it was ideal that those would overlap. I have, know. so our muzzleloader, I just happen to have these in front of me here. December muzzleloader harvest 8,400 this year. Mm-hmm. Or how many deer were taken with the muzzleloader? Do you remember what it was for modern gun? Oh, I'd have to, I wouldn't even Because that, that, that would kind of give you an idea for the number of hunters in the woods during a muzzleloader yeah. season with a muzzleloader versus, yeah. you know. Yeah, mo- modern gun was 80,000. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you were talking about 20 times mm-hmm. as many deer. Even opening weekend of modern gun, I'm wanting to say, was like 26,000 or yeah. something. Somewhere in the 20s. So we're talking in the se- yeah. So many, many more people out there with a tag and, a, and something in their hand during firearms. So it's just an extra opportunity. I don't, yep. I don't necessarily, and you would know this a lot better than me, I don't know if overlapping it with muzzleloader is going to draw a lot more people to say, okay, I'm going to go bear hunting, whereas it just provides, you know, opportunity for people who are going to, I don't think that the muzzleloader is a selling point on go bear hunting. I think it's mm-hmm. just a convenience factor. Does that well, make sense at all? yeah, and two, and then I was thinking, so in, we've, we've never harvested a bear in what we call zone three out there. So kind of the periphery of the zone. Okay. And that to me is the ideal place. If you're still serious in deer hunting when late muzzleloader comes in, you're still running cameras and doing some scouting. If you've got a bear on the farm, Mm -hmm. that's an ideal time, you know, to buy that $30 bear tag, put it in your pocket and deer hunt. Yeah. And if it comes by, you're in business. Yeah. I tell you what, man, the 30 bucks is very reasonable. Yep. I mean, it's not bad. You get, and you said the success rate was 6%, which honest to God, isn't that bad. And you're talking about the, what, what would it cost you to go to Colorado on a black bear hunt? I think uh, when I was out there, I think I could have added, added a bear tag for about a hundred. Oh really? Yep. That's, that's not horrible yep. either. And yep. it's just over the, over the counter? It was, they, Colorado had some kind of new deal this year where if you'd drawn an elk tag, you could add a bear tag for a hundred. Okay. So I can't say what it would be if I just wanted to go fall bear hunt yeah, in Colorado. I, I got a feeling it's non-resident bear permit just over the counter. It's gotta be more than you know, it's got to be pretty pricey. So for the opportunity to go do it in your own backyard in Kentucky for 30 bucks, I mean, yep. that's, a, that's, you know, what it cost me to eat at O'Charlie's and have a beer. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. By the time they get me with that, uh, that uh, sampler appetizer that has the, <laughs> all, all the stuff on it. Right. I've been there. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm telling you. I order that and I say, this is going to be my meal. And then, uh, you know, I ended up having, it's well over 30 each time I go to O'Charlie's simply because of that dang appetizer. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see, did you muzzle hunt at all, John? I, I did not. It, uh, I, I was looking to, I have not harvested a deer this year, which is, which is not the norm, I but mean, I went, my dad and I went to Colorado elk hunting yeah, and brought, saw, brought saw two him. back. Two elk? Uh, two elk, yep. yeah. Yeah, I'd say you probably Rocks filled, filled the I'm freezer not, there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not hurting for, uh, for game meat right now. Do you like bear? I, I've eaten a few select cuts off, off ones that we've run into, and it can, it can definitely be done right. And what, there's what, people that swear by it. Uh, eating bear? bear? bear. I've, mm-hmm. heard, I've heard that uh, like a blueberry bear is supposed to, like apparently they have a little bit more of a fatty meat and mm-hmm. then whatever their food source is, like you can, re- it really gets that, you know, the flavor of their food source yeah. into the meat. And I've heard that like bears that have been pretty much gorging on blueberries, that when you clean them, that the fat is actually kind of purple or blue. Makes what? sense. Yeah, that's yeah. what I've heard. And they say that the, the blueberry black bear has a very distinct flavor. Several and, pioneer accounts I've read of, of eating bear, and a lot of pioneers got sick or they would try to eat the bone marrow as well. Hmm. But they say, oh, the bear meat was made me sick. I mean, there were several accounts I've read of early bear Yeah, that's a big, I mean, so given that they are, I mean, they'll scavenge a dead, you know, they'll scavenge a dead animal pretty often. Uh, trichinosis is a, is, a, is a concern. Okay, I need you to explain this more because I, you know, I did eat coyote one time. Yeah, and coyote. So the, the, answer, <laughs> the answer to all that is to cook it to 160. Okay. It, uh, you know, uh, trichinosis, trichinella used to be in pork. That's where our oh, parents yeah. and grandparents are always, let's have this well done pork with the, with the modern farming practices, they, they've, get, they've gotten rid of it. Essentially. Is that because the pigs would scavenge? Yeah, they, they were getting fed a bunch of random stuff. I mean, basically every pig that we're eating now coming from Kroger is in a, you know, kind of like a, a contained yeah. farm. You yeah. know, they're getting fed good stuff, doing their thing. Um, and they, you know, Steve Rennell on Meat Eater has, has a good story about 
yeah, I mean, he got trichinella from a black bear uh, oh. and was, was pretty sick. They didn't really know what was going on at first. I suspect um, if, if the fire wasn't that good or it was damp and they're, they're camping, yeah, they probably it, didn't cook it long enough and it made them sick. But it's one of those things. I mean, you know, deer have it as well. You're always, it's kind of really? one of those things. You're always taking, I eat my deer tenderloin about barely barely cooked that's how mine is I, you know yeah. if there's not when i let if it's it not rest, rare it's not worth a day right yeah. and there's there are absolutely some percentage of deer have that bears it's even more so um i the the, the bear parts that i've eaten i did basically crock pot carnitas and they were fantastic it tasted it had it had the same gaminess level as deer uh you know they're eating the same thing in the fall um and it was, it tasted very much like deer. It was super edible. Nobody would have known it wasn't, it wasn't deer. Yeah. Um, it was delicious. I would love so, to uh, try bear. Yeah. I mean, one of these days I'm going to get one of these Kentucky black bears. There's one yeah. walking around down there right now <laughs> who I'm going to meet one day. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, just going to take me a few more years. I'm gonna, I've got to get better at it, man. I go yeah. out there and I'm just, uh, I'm just as blind as can be out there having a great time, you know, but I have mm -hmm. no idea what I'm doing. It's still fun though. Yep. Um, so as far as cooking stuff goes, I've been eating the heck out of deer. I, I literally can't tell you the last time I bought meat at the store that wasn't salmon. Yeah. Um, and I actually punched two tags over this past weekend. Uh, I've killed six now. So I guess I'm, nice. I guess I'm tagged out, but I, <laughs> I do feel like I'm, well, I got a, my, um, Kristen's parents gave us a deep freeze for Christmas. So yeah. I got their little COVID Christmas early gift. So now it's just like, can I get this thing completely full before mm -hmm. season goes out? And I'm thinking I'm not going to spend any money on me next year. Yeah. But I, yeah. I cook, uh, I've been cooking a lot. And you're right. Lee has said this before. Um, the number one mistake people make while cooking wild game is to overcook it. Yeah, mm -hmm. Especially duck. God, you'll ruin yeah. If it's, yep. if it's not pink a little bit in the duck breast, it's junk. Yep. Oh, but those tender ones, like, like Hash was saying, I like mine. If if I yeah. if I cook a steak and I put it on the plate to rest and there's not blood sitting on the plate after then it's rest, yeah. then it's yep. it's too far gone. Yep. And but the other day, I'll tell you, I uh, I got a a smoker and I never had smoked anything on it. I was like, I'm gonna slow smoke this tenderloin. I threw it on there and I took it off and uh, put a piece on Kristen's plate and got a piece myself. And she said, This is cooked all the way, right? I said, Yeah, it's cooked. And she started eating it. And I cut into it, and it was not cooked all the way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she ate that whole dang thing, man. <laughs> so, I mean, it might have been good. It said internal yeah. temperature. My thermometer said 125, but when I cracked that bad boy open, I don't think it was 125. But oh, she hadn't gotten sick yet, so that deer must have been clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're fine. I didn't yeah. have the heart to tell her. I had a venison tenderloin at, at Jonathan's. Do you remember that in Lexington? It was in the Gratz Park Inn. Oh, yeah, they used to have that. Yeah, and he rolled it in. Um, maple, real maple, uh, and honey, and mustard, and then rolled it in cracked pecans and cooked it medium rare. It's one of the best pieces of meat I've ever had. That I thing mean, I rocked. You, venison is not that hard to oh, do a good, delicious. I mean, you can and, yeah. very simply have some really good venison. And mm. marinate, marinate some tenderloins and Dale seasoning for a couple of hours, put them on the grill. Oh, you gotta <laughs> go, that on many a, gotta go many a fishing trip. Dale's low sodium though. Yeah. You gotta go low sodium. It is, yeah, it is. I mean, it is country ham, it yeah. can be. Yeah, they've actually, the last couple of times I've gone to Kroger, they've been out of Dale's, which I don't know. The Legro isn't bad either, have you used that? I haven't. I just like the good old salt and salt and pepper, you know, steak seasoning mix or something. But when you're on a trip on and there. you know you yeah. don't want to have to, you know, you just mm -hmm. put, yeah. put the little dales in there and yep. crank it out. But dales is a salt bomb. I agree yeah. with that. This um, I actually got my first deer of the year with a bow yesterday. I saw that. Which nice. was, uh, yeah, I mean, I trust me. Typically, majority of the deer I killed are, are killed with a bow. I bought a new one this year before season. And me and that bow just did not get along. Yep. And it was 100% the sights. And so I'd always shot a three or four pin sight. And this one, when I bought it, just had a single pin slider on it. And I real, at first I thought, okay, I'm gonna give this a try. A lot of people seem to like them. And uh, I started hunting with it. And I realized that that sight just did not match my style of hunting whatsoever. Because you know I do a lot of calling, a lot of rattling. And a lot of the times those deer are coming in quick. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I see them and it might be five seconds between first seeing them and they're at 12 yards, I gotta make a shot. 
and uh, a single pen sight, you know, it just is not conducive to that style of hunting because you don't have time to figure out where that deer is going to stop at and make an adjustment. It's not like I'm hunting over a corn pile. Yeah. And so uh, I've, I've missed uh, uh, two deer this year and with uh, in Indiana hunting for a buck up there. And I was so ticked off, but to finally connect with the bow felt really good. And I was actually supposed to donate that. Did you change the sights out? No, I just, I figured at this point, it's too late in the season. I'm going to wait and get new sights going into next year. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I just set up in my favorite tree. It's a uh, big oak tree, literally not a deer stand in it. I just get up in the tree where it branches out. And there's, I mean, I can stand, I can sit, I can do anything I want. And uh, this tree was covered in oyster mushrooms. I didn't know what kind they were, somebody told me. But apparently those are edible too. Oysters? think so yeah tim farmer did a show on how to cook yeah. when he was here but um that was fun watching all that i saw a ton of deer there was four bucks out just dogging a doe i mean pushing her all over the place so i would say there's still some really good opportunity to get out and deer hunt if somebody was looking to do yeah, it yeah absolutely and kyle sam sent out this email earlier um you know kind of giving some tips as far as focus on food i do think that there's a little bit of a late rut and right now and maybe still to come in the future with those younger deer but uh, I think focusing on the food sources is definitely the key. Because you know, John, I mean, it's probably the same thing with bear and yeah, all the animals you deal with. I mean, when it gets cold, they want they want to be fat. Yeah, they're going to eat for sure. Just trying to fatten up and, and bulk up before winter gets here. Mm -hmm. If I was living outside, I would too. Yeah. But yesterday after we uh, deer hunted, I deer hunted that morning with Bobby, took that deer, got back home, and Kristen was packing up. She was heading to Yellow Bank. So she talked me into going to Yellow Bank that we made with her, took the dog and let killed or ran some rabbits only killed one but yesterday was a full day no doubt yeah, sounds like it. i've got to tell you that, that <laughs> yellow bank uh, wma has got to be one of my favorites out oh there. it's awesome yeah God, great spot so much stuff going on there yeah we used to sneak up there uh early so the rabbit season you know growing up in Owensboro, that eastern rabbit zone would come in mm -hmm. earlier than the western rabbit zone mm -hmm. and so that was usually our first hunt with my granddad was to was to hit yellow bank yellow bank is in the eastern zone it was, and this is yeah, again, you got 20 years ago, but. Uh, yeah, because it, it's a Western part of the Eastern zone, if it mm -hmm. is in the. It is. Yeah, it was like right on the, right on the edge. Let's see here. Yellow Bank would be the one county west of Mead, whatever county that is. You know what, and they may not even. What do you got there? See, it goes, Rabbit and Quail looks like the Western only goes over to like Hancock, Ohio County line. Yeah. Okay, that's basically uh, where your swampers are. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty close to it. Yeah, we used to always figure they were always west of uh, whatever the parkway is. It uh, uh, goes down to, to it's not Western Kentucky Grand. Parkway, is it? Not West Kentucky. We used to call Green that River? Green River. We used to call it the Green River Parkway, whatever it is. Well, now they've uh, changed it to yeah. something. You know, the biologist who covers it. rabbits here in the state uh, told us that Ohio County is pretty much as mm -hmm. far east as you will ever find a swamper. And yeah. I'm looking to go uh, do some rabbit hunting out of state. And it looks like swamp rabbits are a protected species in Indiana. Wouldn't surprise me. They I are pretty dang common uh, out here in Kentucky, like mm -hmm. in the area where they are, but it just surprised me to think that they'd be that rare in another state as a whole. Yeah, we would get into them occasionally, uh, like on some parts of Peabody and Muhlenberg and then uh, uh, over around Henderson, you yeah. know, in the, in the swampy kind of areas of those, we, you know, never got on them. And, you know any particular big numbers but somebody killed one that was hanging from their belt to the ground and oh, be like ah it's swamp rabbit yeah. i love running rabbits oh man running a yeah. beagle i only have one more thing uh lee i don't know what you got written down you were talking a second ago about the recipe on fishing trips mm -hmm. so a quick easy way to cook some tenderloin and hashed you might have something better this is i mean literally as quick and simple as you can do it take that dales that you're talking about let a, your tenderloin you know i'd cut it into a serving size portion yeah and then let it marinate for half an hour in that bag. I, yeah, think. I think people can overdo it. Like if you do overnight with Dale's, then. Yeah, it's yep. too much. It's, but um, you go half an hour to an hour, you're fine. Yeah, that's what I usually do is an hour. I get the uh, cast iron skillet, like hot. I want to see smoke coming off of it. Put that bad boy on there, four minutes, one side, flip it, four minutes, other side with a little bit of Cavendier seasoning on it. And then uh, go into the oven for about eight minutes at 350 just to let it finish up. And when you cut through that bad boy, it's going to be perfect. Yep. If you like it medium rare, that's way to yeah hell yeah yeah I like, I like to rare. double I like to like to stick them in the oven and I'll even do that if I got a big old thick steak I put them on charcoal grill yeah I I really like that pan seared mm -hmm. and then oven finished I mean that is 
clean and uh, I mean sometimes what I'll, sometimes what I'll do so I said four minutes on the first side flip it I usually really only go about two two and a half minutes on the second side and then put it in the oven mm. in the hot pan I think my biggest the biggest thing and I figured it out a couple of years ago and they'll tell you this about cooking a good steak or something is to get it to room temp yeah prior to cooking it and that is probably the single no oh, that's made a big difference. biggest thing that i credit to we used, i used to grab it out of the refrigerator take it straight to the grill yeah no i let, let it sit out for 45 minutes i yes. let it sit there and my marinade is always so dales or whatever mm-hmm. it's always going to be room temp so i take it out and i let it sit there for maybe an hour to let it warm up and then i'll put it in the marinade i got a feeling that probably warms it up even quicker mm-hmm. uh, i'm not going to say i let it get to room temp every time but it's definitely not refrigerator temp yeah yep. you know it's probably Somewhere in the in the yeah. middle, probably 55, 60. I think that just gives you, because sometimes when you cook a deer tenderloin, you have that big like quarter-sized, like almost blue-rare place yeah. down the mm-hmm. center. It seems like if you get it to get it close to room temp, cook it like you normally would, it's a good even rare. Yeah. You know. You don't have that little core. It's like, mm, yeah. that might be steak tartare. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you another really easy way. If somebody like is listening there thinking, oh, I just harvested deer. What do I do with this paint? So that's really good for the back straps or the tenderloins, what we just talked about. But you can do, I think you can pretty much, I like the roast section or the, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much anything in the crock pot, slow cooked, you can make pretty dang good. Yep. And they have at Kroger like Betty Crocker uh, pre-made uh, crock pot mixes. It's, you know, no, no need to add water. It's kind of a gravy that you put in there. And I mean, you, all you do is put the meat in with some of that stuff, let it go for about eight hours on low, and you've got delicious meat right there, and you cannot yep. mess that up. No, I'm with you. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of really easy, good ways to cook deer that people just need to try. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, not, so many people think about wild game and they, you know, kind of stick their nose up to it or have a stigma about it. You just got to try it. Yeah, I know. Yep. I mean, so many people do. You got to try it the right way. And they think, too, ooh, it's wild. I have to cook the living fire out of it and then it's like oh deer yeah. was dry, <laughs> deer was dry. Yeah. it's like well you ruined it that's why i mean yeah the big thing man i'm I, I always preach the uh the shanks yeah and that i mean that's what you know wife and i did a did a pretty low-key thanksgiving this year and i was like i've got a cousin of mine killed a buck and he's a he's a senior in high school and so we packaged up like what he could eat and pull out and eat at home and do his own thing and then sort of distribute it to several of us at the farm and I was like, well, I'm going to take these shanks. That's what we had for Thanksgiving. So explain mm-hmm. real quick when you're looking at a deer. Say say I'm cleaning my deer, right? Mm-hmm. And I've got the hide pulled back. So I'm looking at the, the, the just the meat on bone. What, when you say the shanks, what, exa- what yeah. part are you talking about? It's that last part. So it would essentially be your forearm or yeah. calf muscle. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it's that last, is your skin. And most people, if you're going to skin it, and then you know, kind of lop the end of the leg off mm-hmm. that last bone section. And you can pop those off real easy. It yeah. takes a little practice just through the joint. Don't need a saw. Yeah. And that is, and I mean, it's one of those things that needs, it cooked for eight hours. I got up Thanksgiving morning and, and, and seared them, put them in a pan with some wine and a, and a half stick of butter and let them cook all day. But it's the best. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get any better. I'll tell you what, Hash is a, Hash over here. You know, <laughs> yeah. you look at Hash right now, he looks pretty laid back. He's over here cooking with wine. And, <laughs> yeah. Honest. This, hey, wine is great. This, yeah. will, uh, it, this will tell you more about that. It's actually Julia Child's beef bourguignon recipe. Oh, well, that would make you can get. You can look it up on the, the internet. Well, or, I have I mean, to tell Stacey, because that is my stepmother's favorite meal that my wife makes. Uh, Farmer has a recipe on his website, Tim Farmer. Go to Tim Farmer's Country Kitchen. He has that recipe on his website, mm-hmm. and it's uh, what, what's it called again? It's like the jam, or it's like a wine. Uh, the the red currant jelly. Red currant oh, jelly. Yeah. That's that's the his stew. We made that on a fishing trip to Kentucky Lake quite a while ago, but we made his. But we had the red currant jelly, and people have made it without it, and it's just not the same. Yeah. It's hard to find. Oh, I, I couldn't find so. that ingredient when I was trying that recipe, but I did get the wine. And, Go about it that way, but, but that stew, his, his deer stew, is fabulous. So I'm gonna have to remember that the shanks. Try try to do the more. Shanks. The shanks. I, I have a bunch. I mean, I have them frozen there in the deep freeze. Yep. Um, I actually I've got two front shoulders uh, that hole mm-hmm. with the shanks included. You can do the same thing. I was like, thinking oh. about slow smoking those. I've heard yeah. that if you take the the whole the front shoulder of a deer is extremely easy to take off hole. Yep. Because it's not connected by any joint or bone, and it's extremely hard to debone. Yeah. That's why. I, yeah. That, that improved my whole efficiency is like, we're going to cook that shoulder and eat on it for a week. Yeah. And it, it just told. And it the, the, literally, the shoulders just held on with real thin pieces and strips mm-hmm. of meat. 
And if you basically just take your knife and you go around the perimeter of the shoulder and just cut all that meat, I mean, the shoulder will come off oh, real easy. Yep. And I, I, I've heard really good things about slow smoked whole shoulder. Yeah. So that's what so. I need to try. How long? I need to look it up. I'm guessing you want internal temp of 130 or so. Yeah, I did it at my bachelor party and we just overdid it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we let it go way you too You overdid long. it at your bachelor party? No, the, the deer. We, we, <laughs> oh, we the had deer. smoked venison like that. It was dry as hell. Yeah, the shoulder to me. We ended up having it. to chop it up, put barbecue sauce on it and eat it on buns just to <laughs> choke it down. Yeah, the shoulder to me was always one of those things that you spent, you know, an hour deboning only to grind the whole thing and, and not really have that great a grind because yeah. you're getting a bunch of silver skin. But, mm -hmm. it, you know, eight, 10 hours in the oven, change your mind on so the shoulder. when you do it eight, 10 hours in the oven, because right now I'm looking at this whole shoulder, right? Mm -hmm. Still got silver seam, still got all the tendons and stuff, just not even worry about that stuff, right? Yeah, I trim any of the, any of the kind of big stuff. If you see a big tendon on the yeah. on the surface, I mean, those shanks, um, I did on a on a turkey hunting trip uh, a year that, that Joe McDermott and I had gone out west and killed pronghorn. I think we had like eight pronghorn shanks and a, you know, four whitetail shanks or something, yeah. cooked them in a big pan, and they were on over a over a fire, kind of in this home-built oven thing with foil and some metal, um, like 12 hours. Yeah. Like, put them on, just let them, let them hang out all day. The, like, the big tendon was like butter. Really? Mm. It was, I mean, just, you know, kind of down there on the, on the bottom joint where that big tendon that holds the whole, basically, calf muscle on there, was just butter. It was insane. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna get to cook it you know, when so. I get home. Now, do you guys? Because uh, right now, I killed that deer yesterday, and I, you know, completely processed it out. Uh, I always take a portion of the back strap and just put it in the fridge. Mm -hmm. And let do you uh, let your deer age at all? Your wild game age? I try to, um, and it kind of depends on what's going on with with busy. You know, you kill one on Sunday night, and you got something to do the next next day, but. Uh, the elk I killed in Colorado, I was going to do it uh, basically all myself. Mm -hmm. My dad killed his early in the trip, and we ended up taking that to a local processor. That worked out great. Um, I killed mine later on in the trip and basically quartered it in the field, boned it out on the tailgate on a Saturday, um, packaged it with ice, you know, kind of let the first couple bags of ice were more or less sacrificial just to take the heat off, got it packed into two big coolers, and I didn't start processing it until the next Saturday. Mm -hmm. Um, so that always is the conversation about getting back from out west with, with meat. I mean, that was meat. I cut it up, deboned it, everything legal with the CWD, but it was just in Ziploc bags and it sat for seven days. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's ideal. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if it's not deer back home, we've got a barn we can hang them in. Um, I'll, let it, I'll let it hang. I had a deer that I got that my dad killed last year that hang, hung for a week. Yeah. He killed it during muzzleloader. I picked it up uh, and processed it Christmas Eve. Yeah. And you know, the temp was right. Uh, oh, they say under 40, but, right? Yeah. I've heard yeah. 40, 40. I've heard you can hang them for up to 40 days. I wouldn't doubt it. And I think they only would probably get better. I mean, that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is any, even the cheapest Kroger steak you're eating has been hung for, you know, between like 15 and 30 days. Yeah. Um, so they're getting some age on them. Um, the nice steaks, probably longer, definitely fancy restaurant steaks are getting dry aged. Mm -hmm. I would have to, yeah, because it's hard to, you, want it, you don't want the meat to be wet because that's where the bacteria yep. comes from. So it's really about dry aging them. And that's, a, that's another mistake I think people make is that they'll get ready to cook something and they'll take, this, they'll take the roast out. They're going to put the roast in the, they'll put it in a tub of water and leave it in the refrigerator for a day or two. I think that just makes the meat kind of filmy. Is that, yeah. It's kind of mm -hmm. kind of gets like a I agree, keeping it dry. Slime on it. And I'll do mine. So my kind of process for if I kill a deer back home in Ohio County, you know, go back to hunt for the weekend and come back, I will essentially um, you know, take the shoulders off whole, cut the shanks off, kind of debone the hands but leave them in the biggest chunks possible. Mm -hmm. Kind of left with a hanging deer skeleton. And it's exactly like what they did on Kentucky Field for that processing. Yeah. Deal. But then package that in Ziplocs, put the shoulders in a trash bag, and I'll keep it on ice in a good cooler for a week. Yeah. And it really, my biggest thing, especially to, to new hunters, is that gives you a lot of flexibility as to when, 
you know, you're not processing, you're not hunting Sunday. If I kill a deer, I got to have it in the freezer tonight. Yeah. yeah. And I think that is a is a, a barrier to, yeah. you know, getting into the getting into the whole deer hunting well, thing. It's a convenience it's a, factor. It's a convenience factor. So it it comes home with me, and I mean, I've driven to work for three or four days with the cooler in the back of my truck. I'm gonna start checking the back of his you know, truck. Yeah, he might find you. <laughs> but it makes it so much easier. You know, on Wednesday night, if if you get free, you can knock half of it out and yeah. catch the rest a, a day or two later. Yeah. Um, well, that makes sense. You know, and that, that was kind of a big thing that changed. Moving, you know, when I went to college, when I was in grad school, living in an apartment is like, okay, I got to have a system that works for, I can't drag a whole unskinned deer into my Lexington apartment. Yeah. You know, I got to bring it home and, you know, yeah. put a ham under your under your arm and walk in. And Every deer I've cleaned this year, I'll, honestly, uh, I've started packing a cooler in my truck. Mm-hmm. And when I said yesterday, for instance, got that deer down, I just go back to my truck, grab my cooler, walk over there and literally pack out a, you know, it's deboned. I, I don't move the deer anymore. Mm-hmm. I pretty much, wherever they fall at, as long as I can work around that area, I yep. mean, I you know do the strip down the the back straps and uh, down each of the legs, and, you know, skin them down, take the uh, the back straps out, take the front shoulders off, and then debone all the meat in the back back end. It goes in a cooler, and yeah. I, I don't even move the deer. Yeah. So it, that would actually be a pretty conducive way to somebody living in the dorms or an apartment or Absolutely. something like that, because mm-hmm. you don't really. And really, the reason I've started doing that is. Uh, the new little Jeep I bought, it's not really the off-road vehicle or the dead deer hauling machine that my last one was. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking I'm not gonna put a dead deer on top of this or inside of it. Yeah. So that's why I got the cooler and I'm <laughs> doing part. it that way. Got growing yeah. up in the 80s, man. Absolutely. <laughs> Opening weekend of deer season, there'd be people <laughs> having strapped to a damn Volkswagen, they'd yeah. have them strapped to the top of a station wagon on the hood of their car i mean i've got them everywhere i've got a picture i could show you it was at the speedway right down the road here harvested a deer out of susan's property here in franklin county and i need a gas so i stopped at that speedway and that deer was on the hood and uh, i was walking back to my car and some guy started following me and when i got in my car he came over he was he's gonna beg me for some he's gonna ask for some change and he walked all the way over to my driver's side window and asked me for change before he realized there was a dead deer on the hood. <laughs> and it freaked him out so bad when he saw it. I used to love, you know, running, running, uh, running around back home, you would see that. Mm-hmm. Just top it, you know. Oh, all the time. In Nelson it, County, it was eight up. And there was, it was two or three years ago, I was coming back Western Kentucky Parkway, and it was the classic. I felt like I had warped into the 80s or 90s. It was a, you know, a brown, kind of one of those vans with the elevated roof for like camping in. You know, two old boys sitting in the front seat with orange hats on and they had the top of that thing. You know, you know, the deer were tied on with baling twine. And I just drove by, and, you know, I had one in the, in the truck in the cooler. You know, I, get, I drove by and gave them a thumbs up. I was yeah. like, this is great. I used know? to have my little loop on, uh, I swear, in Shelby County, man, when I was in senior in high school, 17, 18 years old, whatever, on opening day of deer season, when I got done hunting, I came out of the woods, there was a loop I would drive to get past the right convenience stores and the Waffle Houses. And see what was <laughs> See, see what was on the tailgates, you know? And I... I, I well, people I, gathered, you know, they pull over. Oh, and yeah. Me, you know, it was... Yep. Oh, it's fun, though. I do, I do miss that. Driving around and seeing what everybody else had was always fun. I was looking for that picture I was just going to show you, but now I'm, of course, not going to be able to find it. I don't even know what year I killed that deer. That's the last one I strapped on top. <laughs> you know i've been guilty of uh putting more you know i've always had a truck but i've been guilty of like tying the antlers up oh yeah you, you know up on the back corner there a little bit oh your buddy gets one you got to tell him to position it the right way yeah yeah, yeah. For sure so i'm not gonna be able to find so, this picture you got anything you want to go over Lee? yeah um what the future what do you see in 10 years with bears with bears you know, uh, yeah and also you know, we've we've had more reports of bears south of Louisville. Mm-hmm. We've had reports of bears in Nicholasville, wasn't it? Or, yep. yep. Um, that's going to increase, correct, do you think? I think so. I think this was a little bit of an odd year, just the number that we had dispersing out in there, but I, I think it will increase. Um, I think the future, when I'm looking at it, where, where I'd like to see it go, is to be able to, instead of regulating the bears with a quota, regulate them with the number of days the season's open. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be able to tell somebody from from Paducah that you can drive to Harlan County and hunt two, three days, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, or somebody that's going, you know, maybe hunt uh, five days in Pike County. 
So really with what, what we're looking at hard right now is to basically seeing when these quotas are met, seeing when the zones close, and trying to more or less translate that into the number of days we can leave the season open. And we'll have years, and it's, it's absolutely true, depending on food availability for the bears, uh, weather. This December season is always a little bit contingent on weather. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have big years, we'll have low years, but if we can hit that kind of that midline number that will take us into the future, that's what I'm trying to trying to get to. Are we going to see more bears in the penny roll? Are we going to see more? Are we going to see bears in in the purchase? Are we going to see potentially? Bears? Potentially, I think um, you know the this, the the classic idea of of bear recolonization or bear uh, expansion is that. You know, the female sets up her home range, her daughter takes a small chunk of that one plus some new range, and it's this very slow leapfrog of the female and their offspring. Um, You know, they're not moving, but the daughter's daughter moves out a little bit further, you know, and and so forth. Um, Kind of reminds me how people probably did it back in the older days. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, probably not far from it. So it's always been this idea of real slow expansion. And there's been some interesting papers out, uh, one of which that I collaborated on about this long distance female dispersal, where they might move 20 or 30 miles and set up. So it essentially like sets up another pod of females that's already out here in somewhat vacant habitat with, you know, there's great resources all over Kentucky and they can just balloon from there. Uh, and so a lot of biologists in the Southeast are, are more or less thinking that's what spurred on uh, this sort of drastic uh, bear expansion that we've seen in the last 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every state in the Southeast is just, they're, you know, the numbers are really bumping up. What do you think the social carrying capacity would be when people say it? In Ohio County, right? See bears. That's or, the that's the thing that that is slow to, uh, you know. I think Madison County was a good example this summer. That bear that got up around Richmond mm-hmm. was, you know, I don't want to say a headache, but we were getting calls from it, and it was bouncing around, sort of on the periphery of some of these neighborhoods. But then it was traveling Silver Creek, which is kind of a nice wooded corridor through mm-hmm. that country. I love Silver Creek. Uh, but. We know that we've got bears, probably year-round bear residents in the you know the southeast portion of, of Madison County. I mean yeah. that looks not unlike all the other counties yeah. in the east. Um, so just kind of that little line, you know, even you know a bear moving across Madison County. One side of it, it's this big thing that's making the Lexington news, and the other side of it, it's just like, oh yeah, I got I got bears here. Business yeah. as usual. Um, as far as getting out, I mean, most of these are young males. Having that bear in downtown Lexington was just an absolute fluke. I don't think that'll be an every summer occurrence. I hope not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as they wander what around. What happened to that bear? Well, we had a couple get over by Louisville. Um, yeah, we ended up, yeah, that made the news. Yeah, we ended up having one hit on I-65 back in September. Uh, could have been him, maybe not. I haven't uh, heard any more reports of the yeah. many. We had down, one down actually on uh, Otter Creek. Really? Um, back in, in uh, Mead October. County? Mead County. Oh, yep. very cool. And then uh, some guys driving a fancy tank with really good thermal scopes on, uh, on uh, Fort Knox saw one. Uh, <laughs> so I would probably trust like, them. Yeah, that's what I said. I, I was talking to the biologist down there. I was like, I think, I hope that the U.S. has appropriate technologies to you know, be able to pick a, pick a bear out. So mm-hmm. they definitely, it could have been that same Otter Creek bear. Um, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Those are right next to each other. But yeah, but there's potential. I mean, there's potential for, for expanding the bear zone where those bears are opportun- You know, they're, they're available for take in some of these counties. Uh, it, I mean, if you ask me how many bears are out of the bear zone right now, I'd say maybe one. Hmm. You know, that's kind of the numbers that we're talking. Okay. You know. So you're really saying that uh, the primary reason for bear expansion has been the young females that don't want to live next to mom. Yeah. That's what we're thinking is this expansion. Yeah. And even old females that pick up and move uh, to find better resources or whatever spurs them on was an idea that, that uh, really we couldn't grasp until we had like improvements in genetic uh, technologies, and then the the you know every pretty much every bear research project is running a GPS collar. Mm-hmm. So we had those two together, and uh, I worked with some folks down at University of Arkansas that that uh, were having the same situation, sort of in that in that bear population that goes into Missouri and Oklahoma and Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Like, how is this expanding this fast? Yeah. Uh, and so putting those two data sets together, we we figured some interesting 
stuff out, which was kind of eye-opening to I'm me looking, at least. I'm looking forward to where it goes in the next 10 years. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, I can tag one of these bad boys. Yeah, I'm gonna keep trying. And so, eventually, I might just have to talk to somebody in the eastern part of the state that knows more about them than me. Probably. I can so. imagine the terror on a horse farm of you know, yeah, of a foal they hope to sell for you know six figures plus. Right, right. Are, right. I get the so bears in the paddock. <laughs> I get so many phone calls from horse people, you know, in Jefferson, Shelby County, Simpsonville area, um, worried about coyotes. You know, I saw a coyote back in the. Back in the backfield, I'm afraid for my horses, you know. God, if they saw a black bear walking around back there, they'd probably really. <laughs> and it's going to happen. One of, you yeah. know, that, there's no doubt that that Lexington bear crossed countless horse farms between Lexington okay. and, no. you know, the Fern Creek area, Louisville. But So is that where, is that the same bear? Uh, it moved that direction. I know it got as far as Shelby County. Okay. So it actually got seen. One of our fisheries biologists saw it on the way home on 127 down here south of Frankfurt. I'll tell you what, <laughs> that dang bear. So, yeah, you know. That dang bear was trying to find me. He went from probably was went all the way yeah. to Shelby County looking for me. Then he skipped over to Fern Creek where I live now. Yep. It got it was on security camera at the gas station at 265 of Bardstown Road. All right, that's right where so, I live. Like a in. circle that's cut, three miles from the house. Yeah. I looked at that. I was like, oh, you know, go south, go somewhere. Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> Not downtown. Where did it come from? Do you know? As far as out of the out of the east, uh, we actually got I think the first report of that one um, was down there around Athens. There's sort of a little industrial complex yeah. off the interstate. They saw it there and called. And then it it kind of noodled around uh, like Southern Fayette, Jasmine, and then showed up at the medical center one one night, <laughs> the Wednesday, the Wednesday before. I saw that one. That was Fourth uh, of July. So. And it's amazing. We can get all these good reports from a, a lone black bear making its way across the state, but we just can't confirm Sasquatch. Yeah, that's no, right. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right, yeah. guys, I say we call it quits unless you got anything you absolutely have to add, Lee. Nope. Uh, well, of course, everyone have a great Christmas. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a different year this year, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, Do some hunting. It's going to be scaled down, but enjoy it. Yeah, it's that time of year. And we probably won't talk to people again until we come back from uh, after Christmas, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, it'll be 2021. And next next three, uh, next two weeks are condensed work weeks, which means we have the same amount of work to get done in two less days. So. Yep. Yes, that's <laughs> probably, exactly probably right. Probably be too busy, uh, too busy to get back on here before then. But yeah, happy, uh, enjoy the rest of 2020 as much as you can. And have a good holiday season. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thanks, guys. No problem. Thank you.